Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, I want to ask you, what can a squirrel teach us about leadership? We're going to unpack that answer with our guest today, Tanya Luna, who is the author of Lead Together, Stop Squirreling, Squirreling Away Power and Build a Better Team. Tanya, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you. I'm so excited to be introduced with such a provocative question. Right. Hopefully everybody's leaning in and listening very closely. So let, let's let's not disappoint them. Let's talk a little bit about uh, exactly that. So tell us a little bit about this book that you've written, uh, Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power, Build a Better Team. The, uh, the premise is that you've got some very interesting characters in this story. <laughs> yes, that's right. So the story is very much grounded in research and leadership philosophy in my own experience, which I can get into if you'd like building an organization. But because learning research tells us that we learn best through story, I did decide to go a slightly unconventional route. And the main character is Sam, who is a squirrel. Uh, his last name also happens to be Squirrel. And he is a branch manager. So they're very, um, it's very punny. Um, and his struggle is that his forest is going through a forest recession, like many of our businesses are, um, because of a condo development, a human condo development that's happening. And he's very used to this kind of command and control. I have a vision. I'm going to you know, know the way and show the way approach to leadership. And of course, it's just not working, especially when there's pressure, when there's you know competition over resources. He's got a talent shortage issue. All the squirrels are moving out of the forest into the city. You know, they're not producing in the way that he needs them to. And so he goes off to try to figure out how to solve this issue. And in so doing, bumps into this community that does things very differently, that does things in a shared power versus power over way. And that's the book. It's this, it's both the story and the practical tools, as well as the psychology of sharing power as a way to build a really strong team and yeah. organization. And we're going to get into that. And it's a great fun way to talk about a, a very powerful topic. So I want to give you a chance to also tell the audience what inspired you to write it and dare I say what qualifies you to speak to the, this this topic mm -hmm. of leadership. In other words, you have some chops here that this is not just some silly book you decided to write on a whim. Yes, I do hope it's at least a little bit silly, but my background is in organizational psychology. So I spent about 15 years now studying workplace dynamics, what makes people thrive in the workplace. But I also got a chance to have that experience myself. So I co-founded and was co-CEO of a company called Life Labs Learning uh, that I was then chair of and then has since been acquired. And I got a chance to grow that company from, you know, me and my co-founder to about 150 people, uh, about 30 million in revenue when I stepped out of the CEO role, all without funding, through a pandemic, through, you know, going from fully in person to fully remote. And I was really reflecting on what was it that allowed us to stay resilient in the face of all of that adversity. And again and again, what I found was that it was this model that many people thought was very weird that we had in leading the organization, which was we radically shared power across the organization. So decision-making was distributed. Information was completely transparent. Roles were constantly rotating. And I think because of that, we were able to both be resilient and stay excited uh, and feel that sense of co-ownership even through some really tough times. Um, so the book both is uh, my attempt to extract out what worked, uh, what were some of those tools. Also, what does the, the psychology tell us about power and both 
the problems of having too little and too much. Um, and I should also say it was very, very much inspired by this incredible business scholar who wrote through the late 1800s to the early 1900s, Mary Parker Follett, who many people have forgotten, but had a huge impact on both inclusion and collaboration, cooperation in the workplace. So she's a Squirtle character in the book. Nice. And thank you for setting that frame. Um, I want to explore what you talked about at the top in describing the book, the power with versus power over. Can you unpack that concept for us, please? Yeah. So that wording comes from Mary Parker Follett's writing. And she makes a distinction of power over being kind of the classic model of how we think of power. It's I have authority or I have resources and I get to use my power to control and direct others. Power with is not about using power in this um, top-down way, but I'm using the power I have to actually grow my team's power, which then grows my power in, in return. And power is really, it's just the capacity to get things done. And so, so often when we're using this power over approach, not only are we kind of draining people of that joy of work, we're also limiting their power. We're limiting their ability to constantly grow in their capacity. So power with is this amazing way to build up yourself as a leader, build up your team, and ultimately increase your capacity to achieve things as an organization. Yeah. Are, are leaders willing to, uh, to, to relinquish that power? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, what we see is, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And when I first got into organizational psychology, there was a lot of rhetoric around, you got to find the best people. You have to have a very clear vision, and then you just have to stick to that and get the A players on the bus and throw everyone else off the bus. And this is very like directive approach to leadership. Now, increasingly, we're seeing people go, I know I need a better way. I know my team is frustrated. I know my team is burnt out. But even I, as a leader, am burnt out. You know, I, we have so many managers telling us, I can't even take vacation because everyone's coming to me. You know, I need, there, there's got to be a better way. So I think we're in that delightfully awkward middle of cultural transition where people are noticing that they need a better way. They suspect that it has something to do with sharing power, but they're still a little uncomfortable and scared to figure out how that looks in practice. Yeah. And, and in practice, I, I think you touched on it, that people um, want to be more empowered, feel like they have a bigger role and responsibility. Um, if, if given that, are they, are they willingly accepting it? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I would say that an ideal organizational design isn't forcing everyone to take responsibility and telling everyone now your job, you know, before you were, I don't know, cooking, and now you have to take part in building this business. What we're seeing is that organizations that do this really well, they start off with just offering the power, inviting people to take them up on it. So for example, they're, they're not saying everyone has to be part of strate strategic planning, but they are saying, hey, everyone, we're about to create our strategic plan for the quarter. Before we make decisions, who wants to be involved? Who has questions? You know, Who has ideas? Who has recommendations? Um, we're going to film it for you so anyone who can participate can watch. So it really starts with that invitation. But what I see more often than not, is that little by little by little, people do get really motivated by this opportunity to co-create and co-own their own experience. We talk a lot about this idea of shifting from trying to get buy-in to trying to create build-in. Buy-in is all about, you know, I built this idea, I'm leading this change, and now I'm going to sell it, and I hope people buy it. And build-in is 
you know what, we're all in this company together. We should have a say in how this thing happens. Let's come up with the policies together. Let's come up with these events together, whatever it is. Um, so not everyone's going to want to do it, but the invitation matters and more people than you think will take you up on it. Yeah. And we are going to unpack the, uh, the, the travels of Sam Squirrel here uh, before the program's over. I promise you that. But I, I want to <laughs> go back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about the psychology of power. What, what mm. does that mean? Yes. So the way that that shows up in the book, Lead Together, is we actually get a chance to go to this lab in, the, in, a, in a log. So we see these squirrel researchers uh, doing the research. So you get a chance, if you read the book, to see that research in, in practice. But it is based on human research. Uh, what human research and power shows us is that when we feel powerless, stress levels tend to go up. We have a tendency to take fewer risks. Um, it's almost like we're in this um, state of just protective hesitation or defensiveness. Um, and so often in organizations where you're trying to go, come on, let's participate more. I want to hear your perspective. I want you to be you know, more innovative. What we don't realize is that if people feel powerless, those things aren't going to happen. On the flip side, and this is something that people often forget, is when we have too much power, really gnarly things start to happen as well. So if we feel too powerful, then we're essentially the extreme end of powerless, right? We're taking really thoughtless risks. We think all of our ideas are amazing. We're more likely to overtalk. We're more likely to break rules. Not everyone. You know, some people, you give them power and they use it really ethically. Um, but there's just something that happens in our brains where we become less empathetic, we become less thoughtful. And so, so much of what goes on in our workplaces, we could diagnose through the lens of who has too little power? Who has too much power? Are people over-talking? You know, are people kind of dominating decisions? There's probably too little, too much power concentration. You know, are people holding back? Are people afraid to take risks? There's probably a sense of powerlessness there. So how do we find that middle ground of not too little power, not too much? Thank you. Tanya, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you, where they can get the book, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so you can uh, go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books and uh, check out Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power to Build a Better Team. You can also go to my website, tanyaluna.com, T-A-N-I-A-L-U-N-A.com, and you can get a lot more resources there. And check out Sam Squirrel. Tanya, sit tight. We're going to have to take a quick break here for you watching and listening. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after we pay a few bills. Join me, Heather Darling, weekly for a different spin on politics, business, law, and other key issues you will not want to miss right here on RVN TV. Hi, my name is Janice Kovach, mayor for the town of Clinton and new host of My Town. Do you ever wonder how something takes place in your town? Do you have questions about how to find out what's happening? Questions about the budget? We've got the answers for you. I'm going to be talking to government officials and elected officials, getting those questions answered. Catch us every Tuesday and Friday at 1.30 on RVN Television. Welcome. I'm Barry Lefkowitz. I'm your host on New Perspectives on RVN TV. I come to you each week with 
issues and topics that you will generally find in the news. And if you're looking to be able to get caught up and know what's going on, then New Perspectives is the show for you on RVN TV. Look forward to having you. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. Today we're talking leadership with author Tanya Luna, and her book is called Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power and Build a Better Team. It's the story of Sam Squirrel, who is a ready branch manager. So, um, Tanya, I want to explore Sam's journey in, in the forest and, and what, what he uncovers, what he learns along the way, and, and the key messages and takeaways for readers. And I want to start with um, one that we talk a lot about on this program when we talk about employees wanting to feel um, a part of things, and it's, it's purpose, it's mission, it's purpose, it's about being more than just the role and responsibility of their job description. Talk yeah. a little bit about that, and what, what does Sam have to say about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the sort of framing of um, of what I'll talk about is we think of it in the book, what I write about is the four principles of the power with way. So what are these four ways to share power? And the first one I refer to as follow a purpose, not a person. And so what Sam learns here is that he has been really focusing on how do I get people to follow me? Or, you know, even with his boss, who's the chief nut officer of the organization, you know, he's thinking, how do I please this squirrel? How do I make sure I get the squirrel's approval? How do I guess what's in that squirrel's head? And what he finds by finding this community that's really flourishing, even in the midst of all of this change and uncertainty, is that they are actually so much stronger because the purpose is always that invisible leader, as Mary Parker Follett says. And that's actually incredibly empowering, not just from a motivation perspective, but if I know the purpose of the organization, the purpose of my role, if I know the priorities, the strategy of my team, I don't need to sit around waiting for some squirrel or some person to tell me what to do. I can actually take action on my own. So there's a motivation component and there's just a practical component. So in Lead Together, you know, we, we hear this story from one of the squirrels in the community, which is actually based on many real life stories um, about this um, medical practice where the nurses were really scared to challenge the doctors. The doctors were actually giving incorrect prescriptions of plants to sick squirrels. And because of this, you know, the person comes first attitude in that environment, the nurses were really scared to challenge the doctors. And this happens all over the world. This The person looms larger than the purpose and we don't challenge it. And we're scared to give feedback. We're scared to, you know, displease someone who has power. So number one principle is that purpose has to be front and center. And you want to ideally minimize the power distance as much as possible. Don't make the people in your organization so scary, so intimidating, so powerful that people can't um, feel that they're on the same team together following one purpose. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to, to mention the other three since you said that there were four, four <laughs> okay, ways to it. share power. All right. Yeah, so the second one is rely on context, not control. And so here, Sam learns the story of a flying squirrel, because there are many different squirrels in this forest, um, who was really, really set on telling his team, uh, they, they built nests in these ash trees. And the trees all of a sudden were falling. And the squirrel doubled down on control. So he was like, you got to just 
find the stronger ash trees, find the taller ash trees. And of course, they just kept falling and falling and falling. Finally, he realized that control approach, what he was missing was context. Why ash trees? What was important to him about that? What's the reasoning there? Um, turns out through really having that conversation about the why, the reasoning, the backstory, they're able to come up with a much better solution because it turns out as it is in real life, there is this emerald um uh, beetle infestation of the ash trees. So sticking to that control approach, the leader, they had tunnel vision and weren't able to see, actually, I need to give my team the power, the context to make really good decisions with the information that they have in front of them. So it's all about the reasoning, the explanation, the backstory, the the the, the information. Yeah. And you've got two more to go. I'm going to let you all go. Right. Is okay. It- <laughs> so number three, this is one of my favorites, is uh, to really be a cultivator and not a collector. So cultivator, not a collector. Uh, okay. What I mentioned previously, you know, when I first got into organizational psychology, so much of the focus was on find the A players, find the top talent. And it's all about the sort of belief that there is a scarce number of individuals who are going to be really great at your particular role that you're looking to fill. And everyone else kind of doesn't matter. You want to chuck them out. And actually what we find in these really resilient organizations is that it's a cultivate approach that leads to much better results. What I mean by cultivating is instead of thinking of talent as this finite crop, you're really investing in building this infinite field. So, you know, whether it's squirrels or people, you're built, you're, you know, building skills internally on your team. Uh, you're helping people build their influence. You're looking outward to groups that they're not just hard to find, but maybe you know, if you're thinking about diversity for your organization, it's not just trying to fill your organization with people who are different, who already have all those skills. How do you grow the pie? How do you expand who has access to opportunity by providing that development and skill building even before someone joins your organization? So being a cultivator. Yep. And I think I know, what, then, I know what the last yeah. one is. The last one, I think, may have something to do with community. Yes, you got it. So the last one is build a community, not a crowd. And this is what some of the stuff that we already started talking about earlier. It's about that getting build in versus buy in. Uh, you know, it's very easy to just think that you have a culture, to just think that you have a team just because you threw a bunch of people together or either in a room or, or virtually. But, you know, or we can't just thrive together as a bunch of these strangers that are kind of hanging out together. We really need to be stitched together into community. And one of the best ways to do that is to involve people in in co-creating the organization. In the squirrel land, uh, you know, one of the things that Sam, this is a spoiler alert, although you should still absolutely read the book, Lead Together. A small spoiler there is Sam throughout the book is trying to find who is the founder of this community? Who is the leader of this community? And he's constantly complex, you know, surprised and, and, and confused because every, you can't kind of tell just by looking at people who's in charge here. And one of the things he learns along the way is the reason for that is that everyone plays this really critical role. It doesn't mean there aren't leaders, um, but it means actually there are many leaders who are taking part in building this community that then thrives because everyone has a sense of ownership over it. So build a community, not a crowd. Yeah, in, in good organizations, it, it's not as much about the title because anybody can be a leader, even if they don't have yes. people that, that are working for them. And we talk a lot about the, these concepts in terms of building this great team, but I want to give you a chance to talk about how you actually experienced um, the result of doing these things the right way. In terms of the valuation, mm-hmm. you mentioned at the top of the program that you did sell your company. And uh, my instinct is that by doing it differently and doing it in this kind of a 
leader-centric fashion where people matter, uh, that maybe you received some additional benefit for that. And I wanted to give you a chance to speak to that. Yes. I mean, when people hear me talk about this kind of stuff, they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. And one of the things that I found so fascinating is that it actually feels more like a lot of play. Yes, there is more uh, effort involved in getting more involvement and getting, you know, diverse perspectives, investing in people's skills, but you're doing delightful work versus you're still going to be doing work without that, but you're doing the work of cleaning up conflict and miscommunication and disengagement. So at Life Labs Learning, when I was in the role, at the at last time I got data on it, we had 96% employee engagement, less than 2% attrition. Um, we did have two people leave and then no, three people leave and two came back because <laughs> they were like, oh, it's, it's bad out there. I want back in. Um, we, you know, grew and doubled in profit and revenue pretty much every year, sometimes even more so than that. And I will say when we went to, when we were exploring selling the organization, people thought we were super weird. They were like, wait, you don't pay commission. Uh, wait, you, you have these task forces where people just get to create policies for your organization. You know, we don't even have traditional managers because so many responsibilities are shared. And at first we got pushback and people were sort of skeptical about it, but the numbers, as you know, the, the name of your show speaks for itself, the, the numbers really tell that story of actually what you're doing by operating in that way is you're investing in a resilient, thriving organization, both from a business perspective and also from a human perspective. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, folks who've been watching or listening to this show for a while know that uh, I'm on a mission to change the conversation about how people are valued and appreciated in the context of how it impacts a business enterprise. So thanks for sharing that real world story for us to help us understand that this stuff really does matter. Tanya, for uh, anybody who wants to get the book or they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so the book is available for pre-order now. It's going to be out very shortly. You can be one of the first people to read it. Uh, it is Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power to Build a Better Team. So Amazon, Barnes Noble, anywhere you get your books. And then my website, again, is tanyaluna.com, T-A-N-I-A-L-U-N-A.com. Awesome. And I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, thank you for that. I want to talk to you about the, the role of the CEO, the chief executive in an organization, and mm -hmm. their responsibility for building this culture. Um, I've interviewed a lot of CEOs, and it, it seems to me that the ones that have done it correctly, come at it from what I like to call an intentional approach. Um, they're, they're really serious about doing it. Um, talk a little bit about what your perspective is on that and what you've seen. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, the way that we thought about our organization, Life Labs Learning, and, and the way I would advise any organization to think about it is kind of this triangle where on one side you have you know, business health, on the other side you have organizational impact. Are you actually doing whatever your organization is, for-profit, non-profit, you exist for a reason. Are you achieving that mission, that reason? And then the third leg of that or side of that triangle is the team. Is the team healthy and thriving? Um, and you, you need to have all three, right? If you just try to make a lot of money and you're not making an impact and your team is, you know, miserable, you're not going to be successful as a business. If your team is having a great time, but you're not making an impact and you're not making money, you're also not going to be successful. So in that CEO role, that idea of the triangle, the three sides of that was always really, really important. And I often find that CEOs think of the team piece as this afterthought versus this is like one of the legs of the, of the, you know, of the stool, or this is one of the core sides of that pyramid to make it strong. And triangles are the strongest shape in the world um, because of that. 
and so I think number one, absolutely intentionality. Number two, that I think is often overlooked is being explicit about that intentionality. So telling people on your team, hey, my dream, my hope is to be able to build this kind of organization. What do you think? What are your thoughts on it? How do you want to be involved or not involved in that? Um, is it still working for you? So it's both intentional and explicit in advertising that intentionality and drawing other people in to co-creating that intentionality with you. Great. Thank you for that. We only have a few minutes to go here in the program, but I'm going to try and sneak in as many questions as I can for you here. Okay. And I will speak in shorter sentences. Awesome. Uh, you had mentioned that your company, when you sold it, you had 96% employee engagement. For, for the folks who are watching and listening, just to put that in context, that is extraordinary. The, uh, the, the typical employee engagement factor, according to Gallup, is roughly one in three employees are engaged. Seven out of 10 people that you're working with are checked out. How did you really achieve that 96% rating? And even more importantly, considering we're running out of time here, what would you tell the audience and leaders who are listening and want to build that kind of a culture where you have such engaged workforce? Yeah. Okay, well, number one, read the book, Lead Together. It, it truly is. I, I, I I'm really can't overstate that it is about making sure that you're not trying to design a company for people. You're inviting people to design that company with you. Of course, people are going to be engaged if they have a massive amount of say and power in what that organization is going to look like, right? It's like if you get to design your own clothes for yourself and you're really a skilled designer, you're always going to like that clothing more and care about it more. Uh, there's something in psychology called the Ikea effect, which shows that when we build something or make something ourselves, we tend to value it much, much more highly. We're, we're willing to pay more money for it. We're willing to put more effort into it. Um, so that's part of it. And the other really easy thing is we measured engagement on a regular basis. When we were smaller, it was at least once a quarter. Then as we grew larger, it was at twice a year. But we would share those numbers and then we would hold conversations and go, okay, not just what does the organization have to do, but what does each of us have to do? Uh, what's what's working? What's not quite working? And so we just kept tweaking together. Um, and I think a really important part is that we didn't say it's the company's job to make you happy. We said, this is our culture. We co-own it. What does each person want to do? And some of that was personal responsibility. Some of that was organizational structure or budget or policy. And some of it was different, you know, task forces and groups getting together. Like we had a feedback task force. We had an internal communication task force. And they would just get together, create a system, and then roll it out to the rest of the organization. It's really hard not to love something that you make. And I think that was really at the heart of it. Yeah, you touched on one more thing here. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to squeeze every last uh, ounce of juice out of this program Do it. because you mentioned <laughs> that you measured engagement, and there's an axiom in business that you can't manage what you what you don't measure. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's absolutely critical. And what what did you learn along the way that gave you opportunities to make course corrections? Yeah, I think the fact that so measurement is number one number two is do something about those numbers and number three is connect the dots for people and say remember when you said this thing wasn't as good as it can be we tried this or we did this and the numbers changed so constantly bringing people along with that number story is really important um but it was all sorts of things i mean we made adjustments to workload we made adjustments to um our again our internal communication people were frustrated because as we grew our meetings started to be really unpleasant and so we completely revamped through these task forces what our meetings look like um people felt disconnected especially as we started hiring across the country and so we put in you know a lot of effort into building relationships across the organization we created these um peer mentorship groups things like that it was always something different it was never what we expected you know the numbers show you something and that is not 
the answer, but it is the like the flashlight in the dark that's telling you, go look over there. And then people can come up with solutions and iterate and test. And oftentimes just experimenting with things and trying things brings engagement up because you feel that sense of agency and power in making a difference in your own life. That's wonderful. Thank you. And with that, we are done. Unfortunately, Tanya, it goes fast here, but can't thank you enough. Congratulations on your successful exit and, and the book. Uh, really appreciate you joining us today on Behind the Numbers. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Today we've been talking about leadership from the lens of Sam the Squirrel with Tanya Luna, who's the author of Lead Together, Stop Squirreling Away Power and Build a Better Team. Definitely check that out. And if you are a business owner and want to know the true value of your company, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. Shout out to the folks in the production booth here for helping the show run smoothly as they always do. And big thanks to you, our audience. Can't do the show without you. Please crush that subscribe button. Stay in touch with all that we're up to. We typically drop a new episode every week. That's all we have for today, folks. Thank you again. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.